0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money
3: Cyrille on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: The Fed sees zero rates, zero rates through 2022 and commits to keep buying bonds. Plus, President Trump says U.S. military bases are going to retain Confederate names. This is the flags are coming down. And Secretary of Treasury Stephen Mnuchin telling lawmakers on Capitol Hill that he's backing a new stimulus target to stragglers in reopening. And George Floyd's brother says that he's tired of the pain. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Francesca Chambers for all of the latest coming from the White House. She, of course, is the White House correspondent for McClatchy. Jack Ryan, co-founder and CEO of Rex Real Estate Exchange, will join us. Not that Jack Ryan. The other Jack Ryan. Josh Green, national correspondent for Bloomberg Businessweek. And A.B. Stoddard. Francesca Chambers is on the line. She's a White House reporter for McClatchy. Francesca, you staying hydrated? You know, I have
0: actually made it my goal to drink the recommended 8 to 10 cups of water a day. I'm
2: failing miserably at it but I'm trying can I can I be a little awkward like I think the reason I cut back my water intake was because nothing's open so when you gotta go there's nowhere to go so that's (laughs) it you know but now I'm like okay Kev drink the water okay enough about that TMI I apologize Barada's in the video chat like cringing (laughs) this is not a good start to the show okay President Trump he convened the cabinet today what did he uh say I mean with the confederate flags but they're gonna retain confederate names how do you retain confederate names
0: Okay, so President Trump was meeting in the cabinet room with uh, a group of African American supporters of his, and as well as staff this afternoon, and we got to see a glimpse of that 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 event that's uh, still playing out right now, actually. Um, and you know, the president really doesn't want to change the the names of these of these uh, bases that are that are in North Carolina and other places. The White House really showing resistance to that today, uh, but but it is an interesting storyline, of course that is now developing in the context of these other things that we're talking about, which is the policing reforms that we're still waiting to hear from for the White House. We're also still waiting to hear from them for their, their plan on COVID-19 and how to combat that in the African-American community as well. All those details are also coming up in this meeting today. So,
2: you know, I find it interesting because if, if this really goes through and Republicans and Leader McConnell are able to back some type of common sense reforms here, You know, I mean, this would arguably help the president out on the campaign trail in terms of suburban America, would it not?
0: Within the Republican Party, there seems to be a division right now about these reforms. You're hearing some folks on Capitol Hill saying that, look, they think that this should be left up to the states, which has basically been their position on a lot of things, uh, especially related to COVID-19 and other issues that have been coming up, and now on policing as well. But then you have other Republicans today saying, as there was the House Judiciary that was going on on policing issues today, that they could get behind things like an anti-lynching provision in the bill, and they could also get behind things that would ban the chokehold for police as well so they're not unwilling but again, you have to have a majority of votes and what can be supported in the House where Democrats are in control and then what can be supported with a majority in the Senate where Republicans are in control. That's always the issue here and there doesn't seem to be a consensus yet on what that looks like.
2: Francesca Chambers on the line. She's a White House reporter for McClatchy News. She's all over this story. She's been one of the leading reporters on it, so we're appreciative of her being able to break this down. I want to put on my political cap for a second because we're looking at these national polls. We're looking at the battleground polls. The president trailing former Vice President Joe Biden uh, in these polls, particularly as a response to the last couple of weeks. however, if you're leader McConnell if you're if you're the the, the Republican Party and you're looking at some of these swing districts that concerns you. And there now would seemingly be an impetus or some type of momentum to get to some type of compromise on these issues. Now, it comes at a time, quite frankly, when, yes, they could, Republicans could, you know, say, I'll leave it up to the cities. This, You know, this isn't the problem. But the the events of the last week and a half playing out on news and social media platforms across the country. And then you've got Of course, uh, the brother of George Floyd, Francesca, you mentioned this, testifying in such compelling, compelling terms today before the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, And he said, quote, I'm tired of pain. The pain you feel when you watch something like that, when you watch your big brother, who you looked up to for your whole life, die, die begging for his mom. I'm here to ask you to make it stop, stop the pain. I mean, it really is absolutely gut-wrenching testimony that we're hearing. And then we get the reports from our friends over at Politico, Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer in Politico Playbook, where they're reporting that there have been now several Republicans in the Senate lunches that have convened. And they're st- saying that th- they're talking not to Leader McConnell, but to the to the to the conservatives who don't want to do this and saying you absolutely have to step up to the plate here in terms of policy. And, and is the president all in on this, Francesca? I mean, he said in Jared and um, who else was up there? Uh, Mark Meta- Meadows. Mark Meadows. Yesterday. Ron Smith. Yeah. 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 T- with was Senator Tim Scott. Is the president all in on this? Does he want to see this done? House is being very, very
0: reactive at this point to this, right? You saw the legislation that was coming out from Democrats on Capitol Hill. Mitch McConnell puts Tim Scott in putting together something on the Senate side. The White House sending staff over to meet with Tim Scott. At the same time, the White House now says that it's working on some sort of an executive order that could potentially do some of these things. Not 100 percent sure what that would look like. Tim Scott even saying today to reporters that he isn't working with the White House on the EO. So it definitely looks like the White House recognizes this is a moment where the president must do something, but they aren't quite there into figuring out what it is yet. Now, we could see more details of this come out uh, tomorrow and in the coming days. The White House said today, though, that he's been working on it for the past 10 days ever since George (laughs) Floyd's death, and we still have not seen them take a, a forceful position on many of the policing reforms that are under discussion currently.
2: And meanwhile, you've got the uh, latest coming from, from Virginia in Richmond. The Associated Press reports a statue of Christopher Columbus in Richmond was torn down by protesters set on fire and then thrown into a lake. The figure was toppled less than two hours after protesters gathered in the city's bird park and were chanting for the statue to be taken down. Uh, so a, a lot happening uh, in Virginia, of course, a lot happening, uh, playing out culturally. I mean, Tom Keene and I uh, were, were talking about this on air on Bloomberg surveillance earlier this morning on Bloomberg TV, where we were talking just about culturally how uh, there, it, it's this moment of reckoning. It really it really does uh, feel like that. What's what are we going to hear from from President Trump in Dallas, Francesca?
0: Well, the president has been pushing an economic message as his best way to respond to this. The White House certainly feels that black unemployment was very low, and if they can make bring unemployment down significantly at this point for everybody, then that would necessarily mean that unemployment would also be brought down for African Americans. And still pushing this message of how much he's done for HBCU. However, even yeah. black conservatives who I have spoken to repeatedly, even before George George Floyd's death, have been urging the president and the White House to do more on these issues, particularly when it comes to COVID-19, making sure that they're expanding testing in these uh, communities, particularly because African-Americans right. have been disproportionately affected. And so that uh-huh. is, those are all things that could, that could come up. But again, I expect it to be a, a more of an economic push.
2: All right, Francesca Chambers of McClatchy News. Hey, drive yourself a cup of water. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next. You're listening to Bloomberg 991.
3: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television uh, and for Bloomberg Radio. The Fed sees zero rates through 2022 and commits to keep buying bonds. Reading now from the Bloomberg Terminal, Craig Torres and Matthew Bossler report the Federal Reserve pledged to maintain at least... The current pace of asset purchases and projected interest rates will remain near zero through 2022. This, as Chairman Jerome Powell committed the central bank to using all of its tools to help the economy recover from the coronavirus. We're not even thinking about raising rates, Powell said in a video press conference earlier today. We are strongly committed to using our tools to do whatever we can for as long as it takes or as president trump likes to call chair Powell's his most improved player his most improved player you know i was struck by this you got mnuchin on the hill today yesterday you had fh fhfa director mark calabria saying that he's been encouraged his word encouraged by incoming data on the state of the mortgage markets um, and he's saying that Following some contraction in the mortgage market activity in March and April, the purchase market appears to be rebounding. And combined purchase and refinancing mortgage application activity has increased to levels last seen in 2013. So it looks like real estate's doing pretty good, folks. You know, so much uncertainty, but he's encouraged, Calabria is, encouraged by the incoming housing market Data. With that in mind, let's check in with Jack Ryan. Not that Jack Ryan, this Jack Ryan. He's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Rex Real Estate Exchange. Uh, And they specialize in, in, it's a new kind of uh, way to do business with artificial intelligence and housing issues. Uh, But I want to check in just Jack. First of all, with a name like that, you've got to get a lot of questions.
4: I do have a lot of questions about that, um, but I can't really answer them. The story is loosely based on my life, so I really can't tell you much more
2: than that. <laughs> wow! I was like, "Wow!" Let's rip up the script. Let's go there. Okay, so where where are we in terms of the housing market during in, in this environment, Jack? Well,
4: for um, sellers, it's really good because rates are so low and there's so little inventory. So, that, so for sellers, it's really good, and that's a good for buyers because there's not much inventory. And everybody's really fighting to get the same homes. But one thing, Kevin, that um, I think you might be interested in is I think that you've often said that your favorite story is the one no one else is telling.
2: Yes, I do. So this is
4: going to be your most favorite story of all time because it's the biggest story. Oh, of all time.
2: Okay, Jack. Pressure's on. You You ready for it? Yes.
4: Okay, so here's the the amazing story is that the the price of selling homes in the U.S. is about 6% on average which is three times higher than almost anywhere else in the globe, or at least in the developed world. So why is it residential real estate fees are like two or three times higher than anywhere else in the country? And I ask that question because, to me, there is no reason for that. And when fees go down to, you know, we charge 2%, but eventually I think they'll go to zero, the amount of job mobility is going to go so far up. It won't be so risky to buy a home anymore. The number of people who can buy homes will go, you know, way up because right now there's this artificial 6% tax attached to every home. And a lot of the labor union jobs, the trade union jobs, the service jobs are clustered around buying a home. So your carpenter, your plumbers, your um, electricians, contractors. And so when the fees are so high to buy or sell a home, all those attached industries are being suppressed. So I know that you love covering policy matters and economic matters. But I think one of the biggest untold stories right now is the fact that there's this group called the MLS, the National Association of Realtors and the MLSs, that have these fees that are so high relative to selling a home in the U.K. or some other part in the globe. And it's just constraining so much of the U.S. economy for reasons that can't be discerned. And so um, to the extent that you and your listeners like to talk about policy matters, economic matters, and kind of stories that aren't being told... This is a really huge one, and the really cool, I guess, cool, maybe interesting news, is in the last three months, there's been four, four uh, suits filed against the National Association of Realtors and the MLSs and some of the biggest providers of mortgage services, saying this is a big cartel, and um, asking the federal courts to intervene to. Uh, make the buying and selling a home more price competitive from a transactional cost point of view.
2: Jack Ryan's on the line. He is a co-founder and CEO of Rex Real Estate Exchange. We're talking about uh, the housing market right now and also how artificial intelligence and housing issues could impact America's workforce in the post-COVID landscape. Your your company is really at the at the forefront of that. Jack, how, how do you see the changes that have impacted uh, the housing market currently in the pandemic? Are any of those changes going to, to stick around, especially as, as things like artificial intelligence become more mainstream uh, in, in the economy? Yeah, so, Kevin,
4: you, you know, what's happened, of course, is we, we built the, our business to push the entire transaction into the cloud. Of course, sometimes you want to see the house. But you don't have to go see it three or four times. Uh, we already built the, the tools to do a lot of it virtually. And so when people think about selling a house, a lot of times you just do it over the TV screens or a video screen. But even in seeing a house, our, our number of transactions where someone's bought or sold the house without ever seeing a human, is up about 500% of the last three months. Wait, wait, wait.
2: See, this is fascinating to me. This is like Love is Blind, real estate edition. Would you buy a home without ever stepping foot in it? I don't think I could do that. But I, and then I was thinking, but when I was prepping for this interview, I was like, okay, but I would never go to a potential home unless I saw pictures of it online, which is fascinating yeah. because it's that, it's that tension. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt.
4: Well, Kevin, that's a great point Um, in in terms of, like, how many times do you have to see it in person? Like, I think a quarter of our homes sold in the last two or three months were without the human seeing it in physical form. But they saw it with one of our people walking them through the house with an iPad or uh, a a video camera to show them, do you want to see that closet more or do you want to have a better view of the bedroom? So they have seen it in the 21st century way. They may have seen it in the 20th century way. But, no, who is doing that? Well, people have to move from, you know, Massachusetts to Texas, uh, but they really can't, you know, buy the house because we're all in shutdown orders or something. Uh, Some investors are buying homes, and they just need to know it's 3,000 square feet in the suburbs of Austin. and That's good enough for them. Uh, But most of the visits can be done just as well through a video. I know you want to see if your kind of body fits in the space, but for many people that's not necessary or they can't even do it right now. I don't think that world's changing, by the way, Kevin. I don't think, I think, you know, increasingly people have said you do most of this, you know, online in video form. Now, a lot of people won't want to do it that way. And Rex can accommodate if you want to do it in person, too. But that's really happening. By the way, the last thing I'll say about that. We got to go.
2: Jack, we got to go, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Jack Ryan, CEO and co-founder of Rex Real Estate Exchange. Appreciate it. More next. This is Bloomberg 991.
3: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Did you see this in Bloomberg Business Week? I saw this. I thought, oh, oh boy. NFL Draft and Peloton offer a roadmap for virtual conventions. I thought we're gonna be on a bike when Joe Biden gives the gives the convention speech. Kelly Gilblom reports in Bloomberg Businessweek that uh, the NFL draft and how they've been holding, you know, virtual stuff and Peloton bikes could actually potentially be sort of the, um, how do I say this, sort of the the, the look and feel, the vibe of a potential virtual convention. Dan Abrams, he is uh, a former MSNBC anchor and founder of Mediaite, llc dan abrams he says that a successful virtual approach to amping up voter energy will quote feel like a peloton class in those classes the instructor pedals in the dark room with mood lighting while exercisers following at home can watch their progress on a leaderboard we all know that so convention organizer organizers could hypothetically replace the peloton instructor with the candidate the dark room with the grand canyon or a Black Lives Matter protest, the music with clapping sounds and the leaderboard with scrolling reaction tweets. Done well, Abrams says it would feel participatory and alive. Done wrong, it could be pretty bad. Remember the chair? Remember the chair with uh, what's his face? Uh, oh my gosh, at the Republican at the Republican uh, convention with. Who was Eastwood? Naturally, for the win in the group chat, one of our producers, Clint Eastwood and that chair. It could be like that, but a Peloton. I don't know. J- uh, Josh Green's on the line of Bloomberg Business Week. Josh, are you kidding me? A Peloton convention?
5: It's a weird year, you know? Strange <laughs> stuff happens. <laughs>
2: all right you've got another they don't
5: have to compete with other reporters guys like you that run 20 miles a day
2: oh my gosh oh my i gotta drink more water josh you missed my whole spiel i was dehydrated uh josh you have a story out which i love and you did a great job on it um and it's uh t- headlined presidents lose when there's an election year recession all right we're in a recession how do you feel or how does trump world feel about what's going down
5: well, you know, what, what what kicked off this piece was on Monday, the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is the official government decider of when we are and are not in recession, kind of came out and announced uh, that we entered recession beginning in February, which anybody with a pulse and a, you know, cable news subscription probably already knew but still it made it official and uh, you know as I was as I was poking around some NBER data I noticed you know they they've been calling recessions they have economic data on recessions that goes back to 1854 when Franklin Pierce was president and so I just got curious I mean it's 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 terrible luck for a president like Trump to wind up with a recession in an election year for obvious reasons but I got curious about the historical record both how many election-year recessions there have been, and how the presidents and parties fared in those. So I spent a, a day sort of digging through all that info and, and sort of you know, brought all the data into this piece. And the too-long-didn't-read-it line on, on the column is essentially no president has ever won re-election. Their party has never held on to the White House when the economy has entered recession in a presidential election year so how is Trump feeling I think he's probably not feeling too good
2: so you you report and that the the most closely aligned historical record for this current uh, moment that we're in is 1980 with Jimmy Carter why?
5: That is. Well, and I should preface this by saying, uh, you know, looking at all 170 years of data, there have only been five times in American history where the economy's gone into recession in an election year. So this isn't like I'm operating from like a huge sample size. And the first one of those, I'm sure your readers will know it was in 1860 uh, when Abraham Lincoln won from the Democrats. And obviously, the reigning issue that year wasn't wasn't recession. Um, But with that that proviso, uh, the the nearest approximation by far is the 1980 election. When Jimmy Carter was president, uh, the economy went into recession in January that year. Uh, And in June, NBR came out and said, yep, we're in a recession. Looks like things are going to be really bad. Fast forward five months, Carr loses reelection. It's almost identical to the day NBR came out uh, in June, said we entered a recession in February. Now Trump has less than five months to turn things around if he wants to win a second term.
2: But it, it, so I hear you on that, but we've never had a pandemic. I mean, it, I mean, So I I think you look at the jobs report on Friday, 2.5 million jobs added to the U.S. economy. And, you know, we can dissect and people are debating the legitimacy and what that means and whatnot. But if you're in Trump world, you're going to push that and say, we want to reopen. Democrats want to shut down. So if if you want a recovery, just stick with stick with R and don't go D because they want to keep things much more low key. Is that is that kind of that's the battle line?
5: That's definitely the battle line. But what's interesting, and I think what gives sustenance to the Trump campaign's argument, is that – if you go back to to Jimmy Carter's recession in nineteen eighty, the National Bureau of Economic Research essentially said the same thing. I, I was going through I, I sort of geeked out to the level of like I actually went back and read all the press releases.
2: I love and, that. you know
5: in June in June of nineteen eighty, so we're talking exactly like almost like twenty years to the day after they declared the current Trump era recession, they put out a press release saying, "Look, we put our heads together." You know, we decided the economy has gone into recession. It's almost certainly going to be a recession unless, and I'm quoting from their press release, they said, unless there is an extraordinarily sharp and quick reversal of activity. Well, as we all know, that didn't happen in 1980 for Jimmy Carter. But if you look at Friday's jobs number, it did happen for Donald Trump, at least, at least the first step toward that. Instead of millions of job losses, we got 2.5 million Trump gains. So if you're the Trump campaign, I think that's definitely an encouraging sign. And the hope now is that that— Extraordinarily sharp and quick reversal continues on through November because I think that is that is really Trump's best hope to uh, you know pulling back into even or ahead in the polls is that the economy surges forward and voters become convinced that pandemic or not you know their lives are moving in a better direction they're getting their jobs back they have disposable income you know all the things that voters sit down and think about when they head into the polls to vote for president.
2: Josh Green's on the line. He's uh, got this great piece in Bloomberg Business Week. President- Presidents lose when there's an election year recession. Josh is also a best-selling author. He wrote literally the book on Steve Bannon uh, and uh, a good uh, colleague of mine. I've always looked up to his reporting. Let me let me ask you this, though. I want to switch gears now because I know you're really plugged in on the left, too. Um, You know, when I talk to progressives, especially, they're very, very nervous about what Biden's been saying about uh, the the, police, the police policing issue. Uh, Now, moderates love it. Centrists love it. Many Democrats love it. However, he needs to, to unite the left and not just unite them, he needs them to turn out. What are you gathering from the AOC crowd of the Democratic Party and their reception of Biden?
6: Well,
5: I think that certainly this is an issue we can see in the polls that has gone from being a, a rather obscure issue, policing and, and criminal justice reform, to suddenly a top-of-mind issue among all voters, not just Democrats, but especially Democrats, so it's clearly something that Biden is going to have to address. Uh, you know, he's gone further than other Democrats in pushing for police, or I should say, further than other Democratic presidents in pushing police reform. Um, but but in the same kind of pattern we saw earlier in the primaries, he's not going to be on the left flank of that party, and so he's got to walk a tightrope of both making clear that. This is an issue that means a lot to him that he's going to act on, um, without going so far into you know defund the police talk that he alienates moderates and you know conservatives who who don't want to hear that kind of thing. His campaign, uh, it seems to me, has been more intent upon conveying that Biden is not on the left flank, the Democratic Party, in order to maintain that that terrain in the center, then he has been concerned about getting voters on the left uh, to come out and vote for him. And if you look at the current raft of polls, which have been good for Biden, mostly because they've been terrible for Trump, the abandonment of the left right now isn't a big issue. But if things even out again in October in November, that's something Biden's really going to have to worry about.
2: Josh Green, great stuff. Thank you for calling and I appreciate the time as always. He's a national correspondent for Bloomberg Business Week and Ace reporter. Coming up, much more on Bloomberg
3: 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Dr. Fauci, the top U.S. infectious disease specialist called the coronavirus pandemic his worst nightmare and warned that the deadly outbreak is far from over. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, John Lowerman and Riley Griffin reporting. Uh, The Fauci said earlier this week in online comments to the Biotechnology Innovation Organization, which is an industry group, that the infection won't, quote, burn itself out with the mere public health measures. We're going to need a vaccine for the entire world. Billions and billions of doses. This has some more pessimistic news. Uh, my col- my colleagues Emma Court and David R. Baker reporting a month into its reopening, Florida reported 8,553 new coronavirus cases this week, the most of any seven-day period. Oh boy, lots to get through. A.B. Stoddard's on the line. She's the associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics, a good friend of mine. A.B., I mean, I, you hear this. I mean, we're not out of this thing. We're not out of this thing at all by any means, A.B. No, what is really
6: important to know about these new cases, and I think particularly 13 states that have seen surges since Memorial Day, is it's not just that they got more tests, so they have more cases. They have very sick people um, crowding hospitals, increased hospitalization and ventilator use. So it's really serious. Um, it's, it's not accountable to one outbreak. The state of Utah was telling its citizens, this is not one hotspot. And it's not because we got more tests. And it's not, you know, just easing restrictions, um, doesn't cause the virus. It's spread by people who still have to use physical spacing, distance, and mass. So it's, um, it's unfortunate. I think the protests, uh, we'll find in a few weeks, um, will have created a lot more infection as well.
2: I hope not. I hope not. Uh you know and it is it is really uh, it, it, there's been so much misinformation AB. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. There's been so much misinformation whether it's with the masks, whether it's with, you know, the World Health Organization walking back saying that asymptomatic carriers are less, you know, likely to spread the disease. I mean, there's just been so much misinformation and that I think will be one of the defining themes historically for how this era is remembered? I mean, not just in terms of disinformation even prior to COVID, but during this in particular. Don't you just feel like there's just been all this misinformation? Yeah, I do think
6: that um, we need to rely on experts at the CDC and the World Health Organization more than we do Donald Trump, who makes up things as he goes along and suggests, you know, Lysol injections and all sorts of crazy, irresponsible stuff he said at those two-hour press briefings every day, it, 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 they say in pandemics that you, you in, in public health crises, you need to communicate often and you need to keep communicating um, over and over again, even if it's repetitive, Uh, with the most truthful information you have at the time. And you can adjust it, but it usually has to – it should be kind of siloed through the same place. So in past um, outbreaks and epidemics, you know, it was – we were briefed by this and informed by the CDC. This is separate from the fact that the WHO has now made this mistake about asymptomatic transmission, which is really scary because we really – you know, we're all thinking that's sort of the silent, you know, sleeper threat, right, is asymptomatic transmission. But generally speaking, if this happens to us again, I think I would just like to hear from one or two, um, you know, scientific sources and, and not – uh, a range of people, and I think the governors did their best um, to to keep their citizens informed, but it's it really is um, it is confusing to people, and it and it uh, especially because they were trying to hoard masks in the beginning. They told us not to use masks. We found right. out that that could have helped earlier, and I just think you you know in in the next round, I, w- I hope people would be super nervous overprepared, as Dr. Fauci said, overreactive in the early days, and not in denial, um, and then they can sort of correct info- misinformation later when we're not as sick. Uh, but I think letting everyone get infected and the, the whole thing spread, and then say, "Oh no, you don't need to be scared about this anymore," people start to tune it out.
2: And listen, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I mean, I was back in Delco for the first time. I left the district, and since all of this started, because they finally le- eased a little bit of the restrictions, and I went home. You know, and, and I don't think if you're confused, you're necessarily a conspiracy theorist because why are they opening up the Jersey Shore but they're not opening up hair salons? I mean, there's a lot of, like, it for a lot of people, some of the the way that the restrictions, the way that the policymakers in power, elected officials, have, have crafted this thing, it really is confusing and it doesn't really pass... I would argue, a common sense test. Why are you going to pack a beach, you know, but you can't open, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't even want to No, I there.
6: agree with you, and, I, and I'm concerned, you know, we thought when people got back on airplanes they would be all spaced, Yeah. Um, and people are getting on and finding it's packed like sardines. I agree with you. It is very confusing, and, I, and the truth is that the number of people who are ready to re-enter, or whatever that means, you know, uh, resume old activities, is rising, so confidence is rising. But in terms of the economy... I don't think you gave half the population enough confidence to shake their fear, and that's right. why it's 49.50 still. Is people like my mom with an underlying lung condition, and she's not a smoker, by the way, um, just thinks that the virus would take her out in three days, and refuses to go back to her whole life. So you can't inject demand into the economy until you make at least 80% of us calm, right? And now right. it's only like 49.50% because, as you said, of the deadliness of the virus the fact that we don't have to, we don't have any plans still to contain the spread of it and then all this confusing misinformation about you know you can go to the tattoo parlor but not here but yes here it just it is really, I think, for, for a lot of people, they've been too scared and they, they don't know what to believe, so they're still staying home.
2: All right. Switching gears, A.B. Stoddard on the line. She, of course, uh, is an all-star uh, and an associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. A.B., you talk to so many different types of Republicans in particular, and I'm, I'm very curious. Yesterday we had Brendan Buck on the program, and he was telling us that there is this kind of private uh boiling of Republicans, a new generation, but also people like Mitt Romney and Colin Powell, but especially this new generation of Republicans who are very, very wary of how the president has handled uh, the, the not just the protest, but George Floyd and 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 the way he's communicated about this. And now it appears that he's sending uh, his his t- some of his top team members to Capitol Hill to get to some type of deal. I just want to get your take on all of this, because I know you have a lot to say about it.
6: Yeah, so there is a sense um, because, as I'm sure you and your guests have talked about probably in the last couple of nights, uh, that pollsters have never seen such a dramatic spike and shift and change in polling as they have on the question of the use of police um, excessive force on on black people versus white people in America, as they have in this polling, changing just in, in a few weeks' time, uh, Frank Luntz said we are a different country than we were 30 days ago, and politicians, uh, Republican office holders, can look at the polls and see that Joe Biden has a very nice, solid, very comfortable lead and is threatening Trump in. So many states that he won, swing states, soft yeah. R states. I mean, it is it is. So they're basically they know that it is a toss up or more a be, or better chance that they will lose their Senate majority. And when they look at the package that the Democrats put together, which is not to defund police, not to dismantle police stations, I mean police departments, like in Minneapolis, not a radical left proposal, they're saying we have to get behind something. And so then you get to so there, and they don't think that the, the the Democratic proposal is radical.
2: So then you We've get got less to, than a minute too. So I, I want to. Right. I want you to Where can Republicans
6: somewhere? and Democrats agree and not have Trump sort of mess it up? How do you get him to sign a bill? into law and that's just really hard for them to see where how we get to there so there the administration is looking executive order i don't know how it ends but there is republican appetite for this
2: there's massive republican appetite ab and also in the suburbs and, and and i think it's fascinating we're watching i think the beginning of the 2022 and 2024 fight ab sodder my friend my best to you and your family associate editor and columnist at real clear politics i always 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 appreciate having to you A. as well kevin thank program. you thank you more next, uh, policy and politics, and we have more continuing coverage. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Sverdely, Chief Watching Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. So Bloomberg 99.1.